Hi everyone and welcome to episode 25 of Infraction, our true crime podcast. I'm Nadia. And I'm Sally. Um, So word of warning as usual for cases of this nature, but today we are going to be speaking about the death of a child. Um, I know some people don't really like listening to cases like this, but I do want to say we're not going to go into a lot of specific detail about the case um, and the actual uh, murder itself. So hopefully it won't be too graphic, but yep, just word of warning. So today's case is based in Trondheim, a city in Norway, and it starts in 1994. On the 15th of October 1994, the first smatterings of snow had started falling in Trondheim, and five-year-old Celia Redegard was outside playing near a toboggan track with some of her friends. She put on her coat and skipped outside, excited to play in the newly fallen snow. As she left her house, she turned to her mother and said, Love you, bye. By the evening, Celia's mother was worried that she still hadn't come home, Then, a child came and knocked on her door and delivered the most devastating news. Celia had been found dead up on the toboggan slopes. At first, it was unclear how she died, but quickly medics realised that there had definitely been some foul play, as it looked as if poor Celia had been beaten. However, her attackers were unknown. Celia's parents soon learnt that one of the adults in the local area had tried to resuscitate Celia, and so they wanted to go round and thank them for their efforts. As they got inside the home and sat on the sofa, a young six-year-old boy came and sat on Celia's father's lap. The boy's mother kept repeating that she'd done all she could to try and save Celia, that she kept trying and trying and trying to save her and resuscitate her. Again, the parents thanked the woman for her efforts. The woman looked pained and unhappy, and then, suddenly, she pointed to her son and blurted out, it was him and another boy who did it. (gasps) Confused, Celia's father looked at the little boy sat on his lap and asked him, What did you do? The boy had said that he had taken Celia's coat off because he thought she was sleeping. He then said, I jumped on her because I thought she was asleep. Celia's parents were understandably shocked and devastated, and her father said that he looked at the boy and had to leave the house because he realised that all he wanted to do was throttle the child. He said that he couldn't believe that he'd had thoughts that he almost wanted to kill this child, and so he'd made the decision to get up and leave. Are all of these children the same age? Uh, so Celia is five years old and this boy is six years old. So yeah, basically. My God. Yeah, so Celia's parents had been so convinced that whoever had done this to Celia had been an adult and it had literally never obviously crossed their minds that the perpetrators might have been boys Celia's age or just a year older. God, it wouldn't they, would it? No, not at all. So the police were soon called and they went to speak to the boys. They took cuddly toys with them and played with them for an hour before they started their interrogation. It's unclear how many boys were involved in this attack. Some reports state it was two boys and others state it was three boys. However, all of them were aged around six years old. Within 15 minutes of speaking to the police, the boys confessed to everything and told the police everything they wanted to know. The boys had been friends of Cilia's. The group of them often played together. It has never been fully released by the Norwegian police what happened that day. All we know is that the children started play fighting and somewhere along the way it turned into a real physical attack. Celia had started to run away, but one of the boys tripped her up, and as she fell, one of them pulled at her coat, and it came off. The boys started kicking and hitting her, and one of the boys said that they beat her until she stopped crying. When she fell unconscious, the boys ran away to their own homes. The mother, who had tried to help Celia, had known about the crime because her son had recounted the story to her when he'd gotten home, although reports state that he had actually said that he'd witnessed teenagers attacking Celia and not that he had been a part of it. Unfortunately, of course, she had not got there quick enough and Celia had passed away. God, you can't imagine how kids playing could suddenly descend into an actual attack. 
No, I can't imagine it either. And I can't imagine, one, what it must have felt like for Cilia's parents, but also for the for the mother of that boy who came home and kind of said what had happened. Like, can you honestly imagine your child coming home and saying that to you and you kind of running out to the slopes to try and, you know, to see if it was true and see if there was a girl laying there, that kind of thing. It's just, it's unbelievable, isn't it? You can't imagine it. No, exactly. And I don't think I would believe it if... I mean, I don't have children, but I can't imagine that your instinct would be to believe your six-year-old child that they'd killed another child. I think, yeah, yeah, absolutely, you'd run out there just kind of almost hoping that it was, yeah, some bizarre joke or actually, yeah, the little girl was just pretending. Yeah, I can't, seeing it, the girl lying on there on the slopes must have just been horrific. Yeah, I know, it must have been. So that night across Trondheim, the news of Celia's death and the awful circumstances that had surrounded it circulated the city. The police themselves were shocked and at a loose end as to how to proceed. The law didn't allow for them to arrest the boys because they were too young. And as far as they were aware, nothing like this had ever happened before in Norway. Something that has been heavily reported on is that the autopsy results revealed that Celia had died from exposure, not as a result of her injuries. The head of the Trondheim Police Department always maintained that Celia's death had been a, quote, accident between friends. In a quote to The Independent, he said, there are no suspects in this case, only victims. He said that when he spoke to the boys, they didn't understand the gravity of what happened. He said they were easily distracted and they sang children's songs. The Norwegian press also reported on this case in a very different way to how I feel the press here in the UK would have reported on it. They never once used the word murder. They stated that Celia had frozen to death. They barely mentioned the attack from the boys. And within two weeks, the media had moved on to other stories. At a loose end as to what to do, the police reached out to the rest of Europe to try and ascertain how other countries had dealt with crimes of this nature. Soon, they got information from the UK about a scarily similar crime that had happened less than two years before. This was the senseless and horrific murder of James Bolger. Do you know, I was thinking about this case when you were telling me about Cilia, actually. About James Bolger's murder? Yeah, it just sort of came to mind as a somewhat parallel case, I guess. Yeah, and it happened um, just kind of, so it happened, this happened, Cilia's death happened in 1994. And what happened to James Bolger um, happened in 1993, so very similar timings as well. Oh, wow, okay. Um, So I will briefly explain what happened to James Bolger for those of you who don't know about this case. Um, However, I do suspect that most of you will probably be very aware of this case as it's quite widely known. But on February the 12th, 1993, two-year-old James Bolger was taken from a shopping centre in Liverpool by two 10-year-old boys. The identity of those two boys was revealed by the judge in the case and their names were John Venables and Robert Thompson. The two boys violently murdered James in the most horrific way, torturing him by throwing bricks at him and other unspeakable things that I won't go into in today's episode. There are many parts of this story that I ingrained in so many people's minds, from that grainy CCTV footage of the boys leading little James out of the shopping centre, to the school photos of Venables and Thompson that were circulated through the media for years. This case has been discussed so much by documentaries and the like, and it has been continuously reported on, and because of the vast amount of media attention this case had, the public outcry is still prevalent even to this day, over 25 years later. This is a stark contrast to the media attention that circulated Celia's murder. The Norwegian media only reported on her case for two weeks, as I mentioned earlier. And from what I can tell, this is probably because the Norwegian media don't politicise sensitive issues in the same way our UK media does. 
They don't sort of sensationalize stories to get a reaction in the same way our journalists here do. And I'm not at all saying that our media exaggerated James's murder at all. Um, I just mean that our media is kind of very quick to play on people's emotions and they do sensationalize a lot of things just to get views um, and kind of people clicking through onto articles. Whereas the Norwegian media isn't really like that at all, which is why I think there's probably such a huge difference in the reporting here. I don't know if you kind of understand what I mean there, Sal. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think... Obviously, I don't remember the James Bolger case happening, but I have since read up quite a lot on it. Mm. And it almost became, thanks a lot in part to the media, um, a symbol of sort of like a broken Britain and a breakdown in parenting and society. And the media really turned into a sort of what does this case say about the state of our society instead of actually this was maybe just a a horrific one-off incident that... Yeah, and how can we best deal with it moving forward? It sounds like to me that the Norwegian press were very matter-of-fact and genuinely wrote about it just in the public interest and then moved on. Mm. Whereas, no, absolutely here, it was hugely sensationalised. And I think that is probably very much a part of British culture, which is why I think these things do often play out so differently in different countries. Because 100%, I mean, we love a headline don't we Mm. I think here in the UK and I can't speak particularly for all other countries but we do have a huge media center here in the UK so I absolutely agree with you I think that they will have a big part to play in how differently both Norway and the UK responded to what for all intents and purposes was slightly similar cases yeah and I think because of that it's just created such a difference in how kind of like the public perceived you know both these cases because like you said they're incredibly similar cases it's very rare for um you know child on child violence or child on child murder so the fact that there was a massive public outcry and still is to this day you know like still it is people who talk about this case that they're furious they hate john venables they hate robert thompson like they can't believe that it happened which is completely understandable but i think a massive part of that is because of the media whereas in norway like we've mentioned, it wasn't reported on that heavily. And I think you're right, it was reported on as a public interest point and then moved on, whereas we've created this um, rhetoric around it that is just, you know, it's calling for this kind of like lynch mob mentality. And like there was, you know, there was absolute the way that you know the public reacted even to them outside their court hearings and things like that and I'm not saying it's right or wrong I'm just saying it's very very different to how it was you know how this other case that only happened a year later was handled. Yeah absolutely and I mean there was the public actually even had a play in James Bolger's case I think there was petitions and I can't remember whether it was to do with them being tried as children or adults or whether it was maybe just extending their sentences. It was their sentencing yeah. Yeah so there was definitely a public-led petition that successfully intervened in the case of these two children here in the UK which from the sounds of things just would not have happened in Norway. No not at all so yeah it's interesting that you mentioned that because um, that is what happened they I think they were sentenced to um, a minimum of eight years I think it was like they couldn't they because they were tried as children um, they weren't allowed to give them a life sentence I think what is it's called um being detained at her majesty's pleasure which basically means like it's an indeterminative sentence and so i think it was eight years um so the boys would be 20 on their release um um after kind of like the trial and everything had gone through because they were 11 when they were eventually um 
found guilty. Um, and then there was a massive public outcry. And you're right, there was a petition. And so it was extended to, I think, 15 years, which meant that they um, would be 25 years old when they were, were going to be released. Um, but that was illegal. Like the judge in that case, it was deemed that was actually not legal to extend their sentencing. So then it went back down again. Um, but um, I think that was kind of like quite a political stance that the judge took in that case. Um, and going back to another point that you said about, you know, the way that the media had a massive part in playing with the public's emotions. One of the jury members, like 10 years after the trial or something, released kind of like a statement to one of the newspapers and, and basically said, like, I'm really gutted that I let myself be led by the public and like the media and things like that. And he wished that he hadn't found them guilty. He said, like, I wanted to say that, yes, like they were guilty, but, you know, they were completely innocent in the fact that they just needed lots of psychological help. He said that he got caught up in everything that was going on in the media um, and he couldn't, you know, kind of see the wood through the trees and he just he just found them guilty based on that, which I can completely understand. I can totally understand being carried away and swept with that. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's just it's just crazy, like the stark differences um, and kind of what that means, you know, for these cases, because uh, John Venables and Robert Thompson, obviously their identities were revealed. So um I'm sure you probably know what I'm talking about when I say like that mugshot of them, you know, like the two small little boys like looking away from the camera. Do you know that mugshot? Mm. Yeah. And like, that's just like ingrained in everyone's memory. Um, obviously upon their release, they were giving new identities. So they were given new names, new faces, new backstories, everything, um, which is a complete stark contrast to how the Norwegian authorities handled Cilia's death. Because obviously I mentioned the boys were never arrested. Um, I think the most interaction the police even really had with them was that initial questioning that had happened at their homes. In the eyes of the Norwegian law, the, the boys weren't culpable for Cilia's death because they were too young. I think the criminal age of responsibility was 15 and they were, of course, only six. Um, but their identities were never revealed. So no one knows what their names are, only Cilia's parents and a handful of other people in the town. But what's crazy to me is that um, a report from the BBC stated that these boys went back to kindergarten within a week of Celia's death and the parents at the kindergarten knew that there would be children in that class who had committed this offence or crime. I mean, they didn't class it as a crime, but you know what I mean? That they had committed this violent mm. act, but they didn't know who the kids were, like which which boys they were going to be that came back in or even if they were boys, like they didn't know which children it was going to be, which is just, I don't know, like... I just find that absolutely just so strange and I understand it but I just can't imagine being parents in that class although the parents were like un very understanding of the situation which I just don't think we would have in British society. Oh were they so they were, everyone was on board? Yeah like they said they were like yeah like these boys need protection like they need the protection of uh, kindergarten we, like we don't want to kind of ostracize them from society um, and um, they had like a psychologist come in and say um, you know this is what measures we're putting in place to make sure everyone stays safe. But essentially, this was just a really awful accident. It's kind of how they described it. And everyone was kind of like, yeah, that's fine. Even Celia's parents, even Celia's parents felt that way as well, which is just so different to how um, I think we'd react here in this country. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really probably reflective of just wider differences, though. So it, I'm, I'm shocked in the sense that... I. Yeah, having seen the Jamie Bolger case here, I can't imagine of just sending the boys involved in that back to school and yeah. not mentioning it. But having said that, 
Norway's whole judicial system and penal system is completely different to ours so yeah. they really just have a huge focus for both juvenile and adult offending um it's all about rehabilitation so their prisons would probably to us look a lot more like hotels almost they have like on suites tvs they mm. eat with the um prison guards they have uh, lots of exercise areas schools huge amounts of psychological interventions they have a lot of therapy um and that's really like the central point of their prisons it isn't about it is obviously to some degree about protecting the public but for the most part it's really about reforming the prisoners not about punishment um so they do loads of vocational courses uh all with the view that ultimately their goal is to reduce recidivism so repeat offending you know they really do want to reform people and actually comparatively to us they're pretty good at that mm. their reoffending rates are much much lower than ours um which isn't particularly hard. It's true of most countries. <laughs> um, but, you know, and they don't have huge juvenile prisons like we do. I think I read as part of my degree once that one of their juvenile prisons is just a room that sleeps two people built onto another prison and they house prisoners from abroad and things because their prisons are so empty. So it really okay. is a very, very different approach. And I guess that's what you're seeing here with the case of these... Um, the media would say child murderers but these children that have been linked to sort of crimes um i suppose that's what you're seeing just a completely different cultural approach to crime and to criminals and and how you beat that and how you make these people better i think we very here very much in the uk have an idea of um punishment we don't no one here in the uk likes the idea of prisoners living a nice life i often read about mm. uh things saying that oh prisoners have it better than than we do three hot meals a day and that's very very yeah. much the mindset here whereas i just don't think it's like that um in large parts of scandinavia in fact it really is about reform and they want people to be employed having come out of prison and it's working their prisons are empty it costs them probably four times as much to keep prisoners but actually in the long run if you're if a prisoner is only likely to come through the doors once there's still a huge cost saving so yeah it's surprising to hear it but actually I suppose when you think about it it's just a completely different cultural mindset isn't it so I suppose it isn't that surprising that they did just send these kids back to school which in reality is probably what they needed to do the children six years old way too young to understand the gravity of what they've done and it's by brandishing them as bad children they will almost certainly go on to do bad things so I suppose really your only chance at that age is to send these kids back into school to yeah throw all everything you have at psychologists and that sort of help to ensure that as they grow up they can deal with it in a emotionally appropriate way but yeah I guess that probably is the only way you stop these children going on to do other worse things with actual more intent but I mean I suppose if you don't know their names do we know what happened to the boys involved in Celia's case yeah yeah so that's what I was just gonna say actually that was so interesting the way that you were speaking about that I mean did you learn that at uni or did you just like know a lot about the Norway penal system <laughs> uh, well I just always have found like penal reform quite interesting yeah um, and I mean, we did a bit of it in sociology and then yeah touched on it at university mm. 
Although it's like, because that is literally exactly what happened in this case. So instead of prison time, the boys were given like an enormous amount of counselling and psychiatric help and therapy. Um, and I think it was mandatory for them to have that up until their 18th birthday. So that would be like 12, you know, 12, 11 years for, for those boys. Um, and then up upon their kind of 18th birthday, they were allowed to decide if they wanted to continue the counselling or not. Um, but no, they haven't reoffended. So there are people, um, you know, authoritative people who know who these boys are and they haven't reoffended. Um, the only thing that I've read is that one of the boys um, really struggled with um, his kind of like mental health and things like that. And like now being an adult, he really struggles with what he did when he was a child, but he's still getting a lot of counseling and a lot of therapy. Um, but that is so fascinating because um, what you've just said there, just because obviously um, in the James Bolger case, John Venables has gone on to reoffend twice and for very, very serious uh, crimes, very similar to kind of like the first one he committed because um, I think it was the third time that he was imprisoned. I think that was in, I, th- I want to say 2010 maybe. I think he was, he was um, imprisoned because he had something like 2,000 indecent images of children on his computer. And um, I think, you know, a really large percentage of that, I think like 400 of those indecent images were classed as category A, which is like the most serious um, kind of um, child images that you can have. And even some of them kind of depicted serious crimes inflicted on male toddlers, which, you know, when you think about the initial crime he was convicted of, it's sickening. Um, And Mm. so clearly in that situation, rehabilitation was not successful at all. Um, releasing him into society with a new identity, all of those kind of things, albeit I know that was that was to protect him after you know after everything that we've kind of spoken about about the public outcry, all that kind of thing. Um, but it just hasn't worked in that situation at all. And you know, I'm wondering whether whether do you, like I mean I, I know you couldn't say for sure, but if he had had some kind of psychiatric help when he was you know, very young when he was 10 years old when he committed this crime, um, it's probably less likely that he would have gone on to um, then keep reoffending in such a horrific way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's definitely it is a part of our prison system. There are people there who will, particularly in like a juvenile centre, I'm sure they probably did have access to a lot of it, but it's just not the ethos of our prison and it's not central to everything our prison system's about. So I find it really hard to believe that it's probably of the same standard that you might find in somewhere like Norway, particularly when you think the act itself of taking a child out of the family home, regardless of how dysfunctional that home may be, and putting them in this environment with other really behaviourally challenged um children that in itself just isn't beneficial as when you're a child's age really open and susceptible to the world and things like that like you you know if you're at school and had loads of naughty kids you wouldn't all put them in one naughty class together so they Mm. can all share ideas and learn naughtiness from each other and that's kind of what you do when you put I think when you take really young children at this age and put them in an unfamiliar environment and I think it probably is relevant here that there is a bit of an age gap between the uh offenders in both cases so mm-hmm. silly as um they were about six in that case and obviously these boys were sort of near a 10 weren't they yeah so there is some difference in the age and from what uh, i'm understanding from what you've said i think there is probably some difference in the background that these children had i know that both of uh the boldest killers came from slightly more difficult homes maybe than cilia did mm-hmm. and that will all be relevant but absolutely i think the quality of uh therapeutic intervention will also be really really key here because 
just sitting down and offering psychological help, that isn't sufficient. If you kind of look at proper studies, there's loads of factors that will affect or will impact how effective the interventions are. So things like the relationship between the therapist and the child, for example, is hugely relevant. And that's what countries like Norway, I think, are really good at. They don't, you know, they really work on making that relationship very key, even in their adult prisons. So they'll spend a lot of time together. And like I said, the prison guards will eat food with the prisoners and all of the prison guards are trained in specific techniques like motivational interviewing which are all designed at rehabilitation Mm -hmm. and so the quality of their intervention is so much better than I would say we have here and you can tell it really as well just by the what we spend a year on each prisoner that you know the quality costs money and I'm not saying it's feasible for us to suddenly start doing this with all of our prisoners but I think absolutely that the Jamie Bolger's killers will have had a much lesser standard of kind of welfare intervention that was really designed on making them better and improving their lives. And they'll also have just been part of a prison system that isn't financially equipped to offer that kind of standard of care. Unfortunately, it's not something, you know, our prison system is really, really screwed (laughs) it doesn't have enough money to do anything so and that wasn't the case in Norway you know they those boys stayed at home they went to their normal school and just on top of that they got probably as much counseling as help and support as they needed and yeah we see the difference in outcomes being quite stark which is what you see on a much wider picture like I said earlier we do have a much higher reoffending rate so it doesn't really surprise me that Jamie Bolger's killers did go on to reoffend and who knows maybe that is because they're sort of slightly more inherently evil but actually maybe it's just how we dealt with this case and deal with all cases yeah, that's interesting, actually. This might be like a bit of a tangent, but it's just flagged something in my head. Have you heard of the Edlington torture case? You probably no. won't have. It's really bizarre. It's a very, very... I think it was 2010. I'm pretty sure it's 2010 that it happened. And it was like two brothers. They were like 11 and 12, I think. And um, they were imprisoned for, I think, six years after torturing uh, two boys who were just a little bit younger than them. I think the boys were like nine and ten. And they did some really, really horrific, violent things to these two boys, although they didn't murder them. So both the um, victims in the case did survive. But um, I think one of them did almost die, but they did. But they did survive. Um, But the case is kind of like nowhere near as well known as Venables and Thompson um, because there was like not a public outcry. I mean, the public in general did, you know, they were rightfully very distressed by the crime, um, but they didn't kind of demand to know their identities. Like these boys have had lifelong anonymity. Um, and after their kind of six years in prison, when they came out, they they haven't reoffended, as far as I'm aware. Um, I haven't kind of researched into the case very recently at all, but I, I'm pretty sure they haven't reoffended at all. So in that situation, it did kind of work. And I'm wondering if that kind of has an element of, you know, this like anonymity, do you think people would really be talking about Venables and Thompson um, as much as we are if all of those kind of like photos of them hadn't circulated, if um, the kind of their police interviews, that kind of thing hadn't been released? That I don't know. Like, it's, it's kind of hard, isn't it? I'm wondering if maybe that would have been better for those boys. Um, and I'm not saying they deserved it to be better or anything like that. But do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm wondering if maybe that's an element of it as well as the fact that their identities were known. So it's kind of it's easier to for the public and there to be a public outcry um, over, you know, identities that you can associate with. You can see them. Um, whereas in this case, obviously, in the Norway case as well, um, it's kind of easier to move on from it, isn't it? If you don't know who they are. 
Yeah, absolutely. I th- completely. I think, yeah, when you can put a face to a name, you can get really riled up and passionate about something. And I think it is just completely counterproductive as well to any genuine attempts to rehabilitate children. Because actually, it's all very well a psychologist sitting there and saying, you know, you were very young, you did something awful, but you didn't maybe know better or etc etc it's all very well someone saying all of these things but actually if you have a whole country who are on the sort of personal witch hunt to Mm. find you and have brandished you evil and the worst thing the chances of any human ever believing anything other than that and therefore going on to do anything other than that I think are quite slim so yeah I do think there probably is a lot to be said you take out some of that people would call it sort of self-fulfilling prophecy element by not naming people and not having such a kind of media frenzy around the case but I do find it interesting how I mean why weren't why were why wasn't that torture case more in the media do we know because it just surprises me that it managed to stay a bit out of the limelight and the public didn't demand so much yeah I mean I don't know at all and I can't I didn't kind of like research it for this case at all it's just something that's kind of like popped into my head but I'm I'm fairly certain part of the reason was because of the um the way that the James Bolger case was handled I think it was just that they kind of saw what happened and you know the public's mentality and the way that everything kind of like surrounded um Venables and Thompson and um maybe also because you know the victims didn't die I mean what they did to those poor boys was horrific it was horrible um but I mean maybe also because um the victims survived I don't know um I think the victims' names have also been kept anonymous as well and their identities haven't been revealed either. So I think it's probably a, like a combination of all those things. Um, so yeah, that's that's all I really know on it. Yeah, and I think that's probably as part of it, isn't it? That the less information people have to cling on to, the less they can run with the story. And yeah, yeah I totally agree. In James's case, there was unfortunately so much, so many, like you said, kind of grainy CCTV images that... Um, And it just shocked people, the idea that two boys would do such a thing. It was so unbelievably shocking that I think in turn it just became fascinating and then really angering to so many people. Whereas actually, yeah, if you take out a lot of that information and people can't quite piece the whole story together, it becomes much harder. So, yeah, maybe there were some lessons learnt from that. If for no other reason than actually I think... Um, John Venables and Robert Thompson it became quite embarrassing for the UK to be honest there was yeah. so much stuff that was leaked while they were in prison about how much pocket money they got and how they ran the joint um, yeah, and then yeah. when they came out and went on to reoffend, I think the whole thing um, yeah if if it wasn't a lesson learned for the right reasons it was probably a lesson learned for the wrong reasons and just that it the public anger kept reigniting because the whole thing was just so much in the public eye that there was always information being paid for by the papers to prison officers, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure that there's probably lots of people who would like to avoid kind of some of the embarrassment and trial by media that they yeah. faced around that case. Mm. No, yeah, I, t- I definitely agree with that. I think, you know, going back to something you said ages ago um, about, well, maybe like, Venables and Thompson were just evil from the beginning and like I think that also pays like plays a part in it like I do honestly genuinely think like like having watched their um police interviews like I don't know if you've seen them but they are so manipulative they are they are like literally unbelievably manipulative with these police officers and I think it's just there is definitely an inherent underlining um 
thing there that I think that they they were just you know they were just bad I, I do honestly believe that and I think that's even you know shown in you know the difference between the boys in Cilia's case because within 15 minutes of being asked questions by the police they had just told them everything they wanted to know and I get that there was a very big difference in the way the crimes were committed um, it is obviously incredibly shocking in Cilia's case that these boys essentially just took a play fight too far but then really did escalate to very serious violence and then they just left her there in the snow knowing that she was unconscious that is awful but what the what Venables and um, Thompson did to James Bolger was just it was so torturous it was just so you know senseless and just disgusting and really 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 violent and so I think there's definitely a difference in the kind of offenders here as well um but I would definitely agree that they probably in general on you know I'm sure all the you know trial by media like you said all of that I'm sure it didn't really help um but initially in the police interview when there wasn't kind of like this media outcry when like the media hadn't got hold of the story yet they were still at that point incredibly manipulative and I think probably would have needed like we were saying earlier, like the psychiatric help, the therapy, they probably would have, you know, needed that a lot more than maybe the kids in um, in Cilia's case because, you know, they just seemed so damaged. So I think it was, I couldn't, did you do sociology at um, school? Can't remember if you were in my class. Yeah, I did, yeah. I'm sure that we learned in that um, that they couldn't tell the difference between a baby and like a toy baby. Do you remember, do you remember learning that or if I just made that up? Yeah, no, I do remember learning that too. And I think that's, like as you were talking then it is hard because when you look at what these boys did and I've seen a few of the video interviews and stuff on this case and it is you it is easy to look at them and think god you're like awful boys but then actually I think you have to think like more break it down more than that and actually think how much is it possible that they did reasonably understand I mean at 10 they're only just developing a kind of any sense of theory of mind by which I mean they can imagine like what someone else feels um Mm. and stuff like that and yeah I remember that people weren't awfully sure they really could tell the difference between um yeah a live child and a doll and things like that and so then you do start to think well where are they evil masterminds at this point or are they just children who've been really let down already to the point where their socialization has gone completely wrong and they just have such a poor grasp of right and wrong and yes it was an awful awful thing they did but yeah then you hear something like they didn't know the difference between a human and a doll and you wonder how bad did they think what they were doing was yeah no, I do. I get where you're coming from. I do. I think you're you're thinking about it in a very kind of pragmatic way, whereas I'm just like thinking of it from quite, you know, like an emotional perspective. Do you know what I mean? Like as a human being rather than like anything else. I do understand what you're saying. Like obviously something went incredibly wrong with their upbringing and their socialization and things like that. Um, I do. I do definitely agree with that. But yeah, I think it's hard, isn't it? Because there is so much kind of emotion surrounding that case. And I think I find it very difficult to view it as anything other than just evil little boys like committing that murder. And I know that's incredibly narrow minded of me. I do. I, I'm aware of that. <laughs> no, but, no, no, um, I agree. And I don't necessarily think um, like differently when I read about these things. What, yeah. The first thing that does jump to my mind is like, God, these are evil children. Um, yeah. But then I just always talking now. Like if you try to think about a 10 year old, you know, like, do you think they'd be able to understand like the gravitas of a crime like this? No, 
no I don't if I think about like my cousins or something no I don't but then yeah also, how immature they are you can't imagine them doing it though either can you do you know what I mean like you can't mm. imagine them putting themselves in a situation where they would even have to make try to make that distinction between good and bad because they just wouldn't you know I mean there's loads of 10 year olds in the world who aren't doing things like that so yeah I, I, I totally get what you're saying I do really get what you're saying um it's just obviously it's really difficult isn't it and it's just awful for um like his like james bolger's parents is on their entire family it's just you know they've been completely rocked by this oh hugely i've always felt so so awful for them because i just think they 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 could never escape from it could they there was always something in the press there was most awful rumors i remember reading something heartbreaking that um i think it was james dad said that um venables and thompson got more pocket money than he could afford to give his own kids while they were in prison and stuff and that just really really broke my heart because I think god imagine Mm. you there is no there's no textbook at all for what James Bolger's parents went through like it's such a rare rare crime and it was so horrific and so awful um yeah and then just to have such an insight constantly into what his killers were doing all the time must have just been horrific yeah it is awful so do we know like uh, Cilia's family you've spoken to the press a lot do we know where they are now how they are um in initially kind of they did speak to the press quite a lot um and I think at first actually they you know like I mentioned earlier they actually agreed that the boys shouldn't be sent away or you know go to prison or anything like that they did think it would be too damaging um and I think I think though judging from what I can tell their empathy for the boys has kind of wavered I think as as you know the boys have got older I think for them they yeah, I think for them, they found it easier and like kind of, I think now they find it more easy to be um, angry at like these boys who are now adults rather than at the time. Obviously, these boys were like six years old. I think it was very hard for them to um, kind of feel any kind of like negative emotion towards them mm. because they were children. Um, and I think for Celia's wider family, so Celia had a younger brother and an older sister and her sister struggled a lot because she was kind of of the age where she understood exactly what was happening. Whereas her brother at the time, um, he was only two years old, I believe, when um, um, Celia died. So I think he then, um, it was tough for his family or their entire family really because when he did get old enough to understand what happened, it was almost like they relived the trauma all over again and then he had to get, you know, psychiatric help and that kind of thing. Yeah. one thing I did read, however, that was like so all like shocking to me was um, they moved. So they still live in Trondheim, but they, they moved to like a different um, area in the city. Um, and they they regularly bump into one of the boys who did it. And they know that it's one of these boys who did it. And um, apparently like I uh, re- feel really sorry for Celia's brother because he says that he gets very nervous every single time he goes out in case he sees him and um, but Celia's mum actually said that um whenever she sees one of the boys out he always runs up to her and says like I'm sorry I'm sorry which she says but it doesn't help her and I can fully understand that I mean it would just be horrific I can't even imagine how you'd react if you're just in Tesco or something do you know what I mean and then you're just faced with your child's killer or or you know the the person who um did something that resulted in your child's death and then they just apologize to you like constantly it would just be a constant reminder I just think I just think that's awful like and I don't know why because I don't know how I how I would want the boy to react or whatever um but do you understand what I mean I just feel it's so almost like more damaging yeah it would be quite a difficult thing 
definitely a difficult thing to see. But then again, it's interesting that he obviously is still really like desperate for forgiveness, which again we wouldn't haven't seen over here. No, absolutely. No, that's really true. Yeah. So I read the um um like I kind of mentioned briefly earlier, one one of the boys is still really, really, really struggling and mm. um, with his mental health and things like that and um he goes to kind of like church every single day and i've read that he's in contact with his um psychiatrist every single day and he's really really struggling with what he did um which is i and that in itself is also like incredibly sad like i think it, i do feel like this is a quite a different situation than what happened you know with like venables and thompson like i wouldn't actually do you know a person just wouldn't care if venables and thompson felt any kind of emotion about their like what they did if they felt bad about or anything because I just I think they would deserve to feel bad but I think in this situation it does seem almost like because it was almost like a like a play fight that kind of escalated um I don't know I think I think it's really difficult um really really difficult but there's not a lot of information out there about these boys at all no and I think it's an interesting thing that probably supports how Norway approaches these cases and child crime in general because actually being a six-year-old and doing something horrific probably doesn't keep a six-year-old awake at night. But the mm. fact that when you're 18 or 20 and you can really comprehend what you did as a child, that would be when this, the effect of your actions would be so much worse. And actually, that's probably the point where you would maybe then, when struggling to come to terms with it, be more likely to turn to things like substance abuse or further crime etc and so that's why I think it probably is so beneficial that the Norwegian police etc were so involved and so supportive of these boys because I suppose you're trying to prevent that breakdown you get to like later on in in the boy's life Mm-mm. and well that's really interesting because I, I, t- I really really agree with that and actually silly as um, in one of the interviews that I read, Celia's mum also said the same thing. Um, she says that despite everything and how she feels now, um, she says that she definitely thinks that um, the way that the Norwegian like system handled this was so much better than the way that the UK handles um, things like that. Um, well, I guess specifically the, the case of James Bolger. So yeah, even she agrees that without a doubt, the system in Norway um, is better than what we have. And to be honest, like from what I can see, I, I kind of agree. Um, but like you said, we can't, we'd be, we'd be, we wouldn't be in a position where we would be able to change it and make it like that because we just, there's not enough money, is there? No, not enough money. And, and I... we have way more prisoners. Yeah, well, we do. And I mean, it's all very much like a catch-22 um but yeah financially it would be a huge overhaul but also I just think as like a cultural mindset I don't think it would be supported in the UK like we were saying earlier um no one really cares about penal reform here whereas it's very much ingrained in other countries that that's just how prison is that prisoners aren't treated awfully and actually they do get and I'm sure there are probably sectors in all countries that think that they should be harsh on their prisoners but actually the numbers speak for themselves their system does Mm. work um and I think that's probably why people are quite pro it if nothing else I mean I'm sure not everyone's like really happy that they might have a nicer tv than they do but actually if it's keeping people safe and etc then of course people are going to support that system um whereas I just think it would be a huge leap of faith for a country like us or the states to take both financially yeah and just societally it's just not where we we sit right now I think it'd probably be quite a long way off yeah I think I think we're a very very long way off I definitely agree um well thank you everyone for listening to this case 
we'd actually love to hear your thoughts on this one um if you want to head over to instagram or facebook i think both nat and i would just be curious how everyone from different parts of the world thinks that child criminals should be treated and what you think the fairest or i mean there is no right or wrong but what you think your right or wrong is maybe of like yeah how we should approach these cases um so yeah let us know what you think yeah that'd be amazing and if you want to support the show with some of your pennies then that would be amazing and we'd love you forever and you can do that over at patreon by searching infraction the pod thanks so much everyone for listening uh we will see you next wednesday thank you bye bye